Hello, everybody. This is Joseph P. Farrell on Thursday, January 4th, 2018. Our first news and views from the Nefarium for the new year. And I'm going to start it off uh, with a couple of announcements and then get right to it because this one might go a little long today. There's been some developments, let's put it that way, during the holidays that portend some interesting geo geopolitical financial shenanigans that I think we're going to be dealing with throughout the year. Some little suggestive events have happened that are signaling some, not necessarily major upheavals, but certainly a strengthening of some memes that we saw emerge last year. Anyway, I want to make a, an announcement. Um, I did put up the vid chat schedule. Uh, in, in the uh, members area for so that uh, those of you who've been asking me, what's the vid chat schedule for January? It is finally up. We're having the, uh, Af uh, pardon me, the America's Pacific vid chat kicking off things on January 12th and then the European African time zone vid chat on uh, January 26th. So those two things have been scheduled. You can go in and confirm it on the calendar. All right, now, today I'm I'm going to be um, doing something unusual for me, and that's kind, kind of making a prediction, because uh, I had so many emails piling up in my inbox during my little vacation. A lot of these articles at first struck me as disconnected, but some of them uh, once I got into them, I think what we're seeing emerge is a picture. And again, this is all high-octane speculation, folks. You may be connecting the dots in a rather different way. So I've linked the articles I'm referring to. A couple are from Zero Hedge. Uh, one is from Business Insider, one from RT, and so on. Uh, let's start out with the Iranian riots. This is a Zero Hedge article titled, Iran Cuts Off Internet Amid Mass Protests and calls for armed uprising. Uh, this is from a couple weeks ago, but I, I think the story is relevant to what else we're going to be dealing with today. I want to read a couple of paragraphs here. Quote, one day after we reported that several satellite networks in Iran were jammed amid the anti-government protests that have gripped the Middle Eastern nation, late on Saturday reports emerged that telecom providers in Iran had begun blocking internet access across several cities in the country, as mass protests erupted for the third day in a row. According to al Arabiya, among the telecom companies imposing blocks was Hamra'ayaval, the primary mobile telecommunication company of Iran, MTCI or MCI. As social media continues to play a pivotal role in documenting mass protests and subsequent brutal crackdown on peaceful protesters in the country. Additionally, AFP reporters said that the main TV networks were interrupted, at least in Tehran, shortly before midnight. And then uh, a couple paragraphs from the end of this. Meanwhile, the conservative mayor news agency posted videos of protesters attacking a town hall in central Tehran, overturning a p police car and burning the Iranian flag. Separately, AFP reports that amid Saturday's Iran protests, demonstrators attacked a town hall in the Iranian capital Saturday as protests spilled into a third night despite government warnings against any further illegal gathering. So what's going on here? Well, first of all, uh, I think part of this is the pent-up frustration 
dating all the way back to World War One, uh, which I, I talked about briefly in my book, The Third Way, that Iran was a country whose uh, Muslim clergy were exploring ways prior to the outbreak of World War One to moderate and reform the religion, to, to bring it into the modern era. And certainly Iran is one of the most modern countries in that region of the world. And uh, I think part of this is, is at least uh, the population expressing frustration with what, for all intents and purposes, is yet another fundamentalist regime. But I hold out the possibility, and I hold it out very strongly, that what we also might be looking at are a few agents provocateurs in the background fueling a crisis there as Iran is facing rising food costs and so on and so forth um, to create regime change in the country. Now, this is very significant if that hypothesis is correct because, number one, it means regardless of the outcome, of these particular riots that we see, uh, that we saw going on, that regardless of the outcome this time around, this is a phenomenon that is not going to go away even if the regime is successful in, in uh, tamping it down this time around. This is not going to go away, and particularly if Western intelligence, British or American or French or German intelligence, uh, are involved in helping fuel and fund these groups. Um, so what's at play here? Well, if you have been following geopolitics, certainly the Chinese Silk Road project, which has already sent uh, freight trains to Iran from China. Uh, you recall that Iran and India negotiated bilateral currency swaps, bypassing the dollar to uh, deal with uh, oil sales to India in rupees. So in other words, if this is the case, the West is striking at the weakest link in the Chinese Silk Road project. Now, at the same time, you'll notice that Saudi Arabia last year, at, in the aftermath of the Las Vegas shooting and the Saudi coup, there were little, little signals that they were moderating their religion in that country. These were entirely token efforts, as far as I'm concerned. We've got to see some real differences but uh, and some real change, but at least the symbols were being signaled. And to a certain extent, that may be playing here on the reaction of people in Iran with an almost equally abominable, repressive, and brutal regime. So lots going on. I think this may be a signal that we're looking at a long-term uh, project of possible regime change taking place in Iran. Um, this is going to stick with us. Now, this does not halt the Silk Road project. Please, please bear that in mind, because China and Russia are talking about other rail and road routes between the Far East and Europe, most of them running through Russia or at least former uh, Soviet republics. So this is not going to stop the Silk Road project, but it will, uh, if I'm correct in this reading, that we're witnessing the beginning of a long-term plan of action. This is not going to resolve itself in 2018, but it will put a severe dent in it. All right, now, with that said, I want to turn to a rather lengthy article. This is 
this article is well worth your consideration. This is uh, from Zero Hedge. Uh, the article is titled Behind Korea, Iran, and Russia Tensions, the Lurking Financial War. Now, there are a number of, of things, paragraphs in here, a few paragraphs that I want to read and comment briefly about because, again, I think we're seeing in this article the emergence of some memes that might be with us uh, throughout 2018 and beyond. Uh, so this paragraph, let me read this to you. The U.S. has embarked on a project to restore America's economic primacy through suppressing its main trade competitors through quasi-protectionism and in the military context to ensure America's continued political dominance. Now let me stop before I go further. Protectionism is not just suppression of other competitors. It's also part of a bigger scheme usually to protect existing manufacturing and industry in the country that that initiates such things. So bear that in mind as I continue reading. The U.S. America First national security strategy made it plain. China and Russia are America's revisionist adversaries and the U.S. must and intends to win in this competition. The subtext is that potential main rivals must be reminded of their place in the global order. This part is clear and quite explicit. What is left unsaid is that America is staking all on the dollar's global reserve currency status being maintained, for without it, President Trump's aims are likely, unlikely, pardon me, to be delivered. <laughs> the dollar status is crucial precisely because of what has occurred in the wake of the great financial crisis. Now, I mentioned protectionism, but there's another factor that I think is a very strong indicator that this might be a slight misreading of the situation. Certainly, it is clear from the national strategy documents that we saw emerge from the Trump administration in 2017 that the strategy certainly does not involve America losing its primacy. However, what I think that people are missing is that new national strategy is also a step back from unipolarism, and here's why. It's the tax bill. Recall that the uh, Republican Congress in the United States recently passed a tax relief bill, and already, just today I was listening to the news, uh, Southwest Airlines, a major American airlines, is passing on cash bonuses to its employees and stated that this is literally a result of the tax bill passing. But the real purpose of the tax bill, please understand this, Catherine Austin Fitz and I talked about this uh, in her latest quarterly annual wrap-up, which she has not yet published, but I do want to alert you to it. Uh, the real purpose of the tax bill is to lower corporate taxes to the point that it becomes feasible for them to move manufacturing back to North America. This is a key thing, and I've been suggesting this uh, move almost for a decade now. I began suggesting it way back with uh, George Ann Hughes on her Bite Show uh, that it, the the globalist the globalist agenda has been collapsing as we've been seeing, and they have to reshore. North America is still basically their their base of operations. They've got to reshore manufacturing. As the German foreign minister, or pardon me, finance minister, former finance minister Wolfgang Schäuble put it, the debt growth finance model is over. So in other words, we're not going to finance 
uh, our way out of this with the usual uh, crony capitalism, finance capitalism tricks. We've got to produce our way out of it, and that means equity capitalism. That means actual, uh, actual capitalism, manufacturing things, not simply playing around with stocks and bonds and and schemes to to print more money. So, in other words, I think this part of the thing has to be taken into consideration. The tax bill is a major step towards reshoring the the uh, protectionism statements are also part of this uh, situation. And this Zero Head article does mention the tax bill a little bit further on. Now let me skip several paragraphs to read about this one. Quote, and why is it that in place of detente with Russia, we have Herman Graf, the CEO of Russia's largest commercial bank, telling the Financial Times that any further tightening of anti-Russia sanctions, including the potential exclusion of Russian banks and corporations from the SWIFT payment system, that's the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Transfer, based in Belgium. That's the predominant international clearing system, and it's, again, it's a monopoly that the West has over all international financial clearing. Uh, what that would have, if Russia were excluded, it would have such a devastating effect that it would make the Cold War look like child's play. The U.S. Treasury is expected to present its report on further sanctions to Congress as early as February 2018, the Financial Times reports. What is the point? Why should the U.S. and Europe proceed down this particular rabbit hole? It would be particularly damaging for Europe. Latch on to that because that's true. Well, the answer probably is similar. The imperative to maintain the dollar's global financial status for a program to reclaim America's preeminence, which, given the overhang of additional debt in the wake of 2008, has to be contingent on the dollar's global status. So reading behind the lines here, folks, Europe is emerging as the key, as the geopolitical key, to this new agenda, which I think is, number one, as I said before, designed to keep America in a position of primacy, but also retreat from the unipolar vision to a certain extent. Europe is the key here, and I want you to bear this in mind. Where Europe goes in, the, in these next few years, that's the way the chips are going to fall, because we hear everything about the big Chinese economy. But when you pile all of those European countries together in the European Union, that by far and away is the biggest economy in trading zones still in the world. So uh, tuck Europe in the back of your mind because we're going to be getting back to this in just a moment. Now, another paragraph here. Financial war, of course, is nothing new. The U.S. began staging annual financial war games as long ago as 2005. General Hayden, the former director of the first of Na the National Security Agency and subsequently of the CIA, listen carefully, folks, has characterized financial war as the primary means of warfare in the 21st century. So in other words, that says it all right there. 2008, if you've been following all my remarks thus far, is going to be a an interesting and I think very hot year in terms of uh, this financial warfare and it's only just kicking things off folks. Now let me skip 
down to yet another paragraph in this article. Quote, the key here is China. China's economy is about nine times that of Russia. Mr. Trump already had accused China of various trade and intellectual property infractions during his presidential campaign, threatening tariffs in retaliation. That was before Treasury Secretary Mnuchin in September warned China that the U.S. could impose additional sanctions on China, potentially cutting off access to the U.S. financial system, the Treasury's neutron bomb of blocking the SWIFT clearance system if China failed to impose sanctions against North Korea sufficiently to satisfy U.S. demand. Now, in the U.S. national strategy statement, China repeatedly is cast as an economic miscreant, a revisionist power and rival to America's economic and political primacy. The writing of aggregated, the writing of aggravated relations clearly is on the wall. Now, China, as you've noticed, and I've been blogging about this, Russia as well, have been putting in the steps to create their own international financial clearing mechanisms. So the neutron bomb now is dwindling in its effectiveness. Uh, and if they get this entirely in place, which is almost there, uh, that's not going to be much of a neutron bomb. Uh, let me go down to another paragraph. The Americans came up with a solution in all of this financial crisis. Listen, listen carefully now, because this is the finance crony capitalism, the fake capitalism, as I like to call it, where you're more concerned with paper transfers and money flow than actual manufacture of product, okay? Uh, which to me is what real capitalism all, is all about. Whether you're writing or producing a book or a symphony or an automobile, that's what, that's what is real. Uh, trading ledger numbers, uh, which is what we've been doing, this isn't real. So listen carefully. The Americans came up with a solution, issuing debt to bring the dollar back to the U.S. The Americans started to play a game of printing money with one hand and borrowing money with the other hand. Printing money can make money. Borrowing money can also make money. This financial economy, using money to make money, is much easier than the real industry-based economy. And that's the problem facing President Trump and the people behind the national security strategy assessment. Because it's clear you cannot keep an economy that isn't producing very much running for very long. China's producing something, folks. Europe is producing something, and name me a, an American car whose parts, all of which, are actually manufactured in this country. Ain't there. So why will, why will it bother with manufacturing industries that only have low value-adding capabilities? In other words, that is such a crucial thing to understand. One of the things driving the absence of manufacture, of equity capitalism in this country, is precisely you can make more money much faster playing the stock market and all these financial tricks than actually investing in anything that makes anything. And this is a real dilemma now for the United States because it's been surviving on finance capitalism rather than genuine equity and manufacture capitalism for so long 
that it has ceded its position as the world's manufacturing leader to a large extent. So let me um, conclude this with a couple of paragraphs uh, from the end of the article that point right directly to this key crucial issue of financial clearing. Because if you're going to run a finance capital game, you have to have a monopoly on international financial clearing. So listen to this. In October 2015, China inaugurated the International Payment System, or CIPS. CIPS has a cooperation ag agreement with the private Belgium-based SWIFT International Bank Clearing System through which virtually every global transaction must transit. But in the event of China being excluded from SWIFT, as Mnuchin so hinted in September, China and Russia will be able to clear through the CIPS. The operational launch of the Chinese yuan-denominated oil futures options in time, depending on how quickly contracts can be adjusted, holds the prospect for displacing the petrodollar system, especially if Saudi Arabia, listen carefully, agrees to sell crude to China in yuan, perhaps as part of China, buying a stake in the Aramco offering. So the bigger question, if Trump does pursue an economic containment of China's strategy, that's the question to watch, folks, and China and its allies respond, is what will be the effect on risk-free U.S. Treasury values in the wake of a major segment of the global economy going its own way? And what, too, will be the ability of the U.S. government then to finance its debt at its current and growing levels? All right? So in other words, big financial geopolitical pressures at work behind the scenes. So remember what I said earlier, Europe is the key. Watch Europe. That's the world's, still the world's biggest market, Asia catching up fast, all right? And the United States losing a manufacturing base and wanting to be the unipolar center of the universe. This obviously is a geopolitical financial situation that cannot long endure all right so i want to point you to an article now that appeared just two days ago on rt um this article titled france wants to build trade backbone from europe to beijing via moscow note not via iran <laughs> not via uh central asian republics but via moscow in other words we're going to go the northern route because that's the most stable, okay? Russia is far more stable than Iran or even some of those old Central Asian Soviet republics. So the geopolitics here, folks, is just unreal. Now, let me, let me read the first three paragraphs from this RT article. Uh, French economy and finance minister Bruno Le Maire has said that France is moving toward a period of rebalancing. Notice the word. In other words, what they're really saying is France is reconsidering its position in this whole tug of war going on between Washington on the one hand and Moscow and Beijing on the other. So France realizes we're sitting right in the middle. Sooner or later, we're going to have to pick a side and we're going to call it rebalancing. So in other words, 
we're doing a balancing act right now, folks. But sooner or later, we either have to fall on the American side or the Asian side. And they've already suggested, well, ultimately, we know we're going to have to fall on the Asian side. Bruno Le Maire made the statement in an interview with the Wall Street Journal given in December during the minister's visit to Moscow. Quote, we are moving from a world dominated by very exclusive transatlantic relations toward a rebalancing, unquote, Le Maire said. Quote, the U.S. is a close ally and Europe's principal trading partner, but we can clearly see the difficulties, the minister said, criticizing the U.S. for maintaining the threat of, quote, extraterritorial sanctions, unquote, legislation that lets Washington penalize foreign companies with U.S. operations for doing business in Russia. Quote, that is contrary to our vision, here it comes, of a multilateral global organization, Le Maire said, expressing hope that French sanctions against Russia will soon be lifted. Quote, the conditions are not met for us to lift or alleviate sanctions, but I hope, I really hope that it will evolve, unquote, Le Maire declared. Now, folks, that's one of the two premier European powers signaling that it wants a change in Euro-Russia uh, relations and European-Asian relations. In other words, they're reading the handwriting on the wall. So this brings me to my last article of the day. And I'm sorry this has gone so long, but I, I really think that this is an interesting geopolitical picture that we're seeing emerge. This is an article titled, Germany's Push for EU Army, Merkel Developing Networks with EU Members for a Military Union. Um, I just want to read a couple things here. You'll get the idea and then proceed directly to my comments. German Defense Minister Ursula von der Leyen has been working on establishing the groundwork for a European Union Army, in particular developing a network of cooperation between troops from Germany and other countries that are part of the PESCO Permanent Structured Cooperation. The bloc comprises 25 European Union countries with only Denmark, Malta, and the United Kingdom remaining outside. The move largely comprises of cooperation in training the troops, with the Bundeswehr training a number of soldiers from various EU countries and similarly, German troops visiting their counterparts. Now, notice Germany's in the center of this drive, uh, and France very, very close to the center of this drive because later it states Germany. There are in Germany there are a total of 24 training facilities, which are visited by soldiers from other EU member states. Bundeswehr soldiers in turn visit 55 educational institutions of other armies throughout Europe, from Albania to Spain. Among the camps German soldiers go through abroad is the elite officer's school in Saint-Cyr, France. Now, folks, that is an elite school. That, uh, it has connections to Napoleon Bonaparte, Marshal Joffre, Marshal Foch. Uh, so, in other words, this is France's uh, tip-top elite school. And that's, that's something. You know, turn the clock back 100 years, folks. We were in the middle of World War I. Russia is just about to sign the surrender with the Central Powers, and 
the German Empire go on the offensive for the next few months in the West. Uh, so, you know, how far we have come in 100 years is really rather amazing. Now, I want to point out what the significance of this EU uh, army is in this geopolitical context, because if Europe is going to pursue any sort of mediating position between the United States and the Asian powers, then it must have a a strong and independent military, in other words, a structure of military organization and force independent of NATO. And this is precisely what I've been arguing that you've been watching the French and Germans trying to create for the past decade. But now what is really driving this, regardless of what happens to the EU as an economic entity, I think now the economic realities are so plain and the future is so plain that regardless of what happens to that economic entity, you're going to see the creation of a military entity in Europe precisely to give the European nations, and in particular the big ones, Spain, Italy, France, Germany, the maneuvering room that they need to bypass the policies of Washington. As their trade, this is what Washington's afraid of, as their trade with Asia increases and the balance of that trade swings in favor of Asia and away from America, then their, their policies will go the same direction. The key here, as always, Germany. Germany is in a difficult position. You'll notice France stepping up to continue the European narrative uh, because Merkel's government is weak, it's unpopular. Uh, she's created a refugee crisis in Europe that is uh, driving political events there in a way that the Eurocrats do not want it to go. So I'm expecting that you're going to see, by dint of necessity, a few perhaps uh, merely window dressing policy changes with respect to the refugee problem in Europe. Uh, merely cosmetic changes aren't going to do it. But Europe, again, is the crucial thing to watch here. How Europe swings in the next few years is going to tell us where this game is going to go. The United States, in the meantime, has to walk a very, very delicate diplomatic and financial uh, tightwire. It cannot come too strong. It will drive Europe away. At the same time, it cannot be week. So this is going to be a very, very interesting year geopolitically. I hope what I've uh, outlined has made sense for everybody. Don't forget, we're having our first uh, vid chat on the 12th. Uh, that will be the America's Pacific Rim vid chat at 7. As usual, I'll start pre-chat and probably start the chat early. Then our European African members vid chat on uh, January 26th. This is already too long, folks. Happy New Year. Um, we're off to an interesting start, and I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye, and God bless everybody.